Hey everybody, welcome to the export. I am Raven X and I am joined by an OG, a very special guest. He was back on the show a few weeks ago to talk the NFL playoffs and he's back again because we are going to break down the Super Bowl and that is Malik Robinson. How you doing today, Malik? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there enjoying this immaculate weather we had today in St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, in Iowa, it was, I think, at 1.50 degrees, and it felt good. Oh, yeah. It's, it, I hate Midwest weather. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to rain all this week after that, so you know how it is. Yeah, late last week, it was, what, in the teens, so the 50 felt great, but I think we're supposed to get similar weather like that. I know we might, we got a chance for snow, but I know it's at least going to rain, but... Forget talking about the weather. We got much more important things to talk about. And it's all about the NFL. First, we're going to discuss some league retirements from great wide receivers to who was widely considered the greatest quarterback of all time. We're going to review some of the coaching hires around the NFL. And then, like I said, we're going to break down the Super Bowl, looking at the best matchups, X factors, and eventually pick who we think is going to take home the Lombardi Trophy. But before we get to any of that, please sure to check out the X Report.net. I repeat the X Report.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's bring back one of my favorite segments, and that's the college football player spotlight, where throughout the season we talk about a prospect who we like and where we think they're going to get drafted, best fits, blah, blah, blah. Well, this past week there was a lot of all-star showcases for draft prospects, whether that be the East-West Shrine game, the NFLPA Bowl game, and, of course, the Senior Bowl. Ethan, I mean, uh, Malik, were you able to catch any of those games? Uh, let me catch some of the highlights. I didn't watch the games, but I caught some highlights and watched the practices and the one-on-one drills. Nice. So you and I are both really big NFL draft fans. I think it's pretty safe to say it's one of our favorite times of the year, period. So for this week's college football player spotlight, let's talk some of our favorite prospects, more specifically our favorite offensive and defensive prospects in this year's draft class. So you can start us off. Who's your favorite offensive player in this year's class? Favorite offensive player in this year's class. That's a hard one. I know. Um, I know. It was hard for me, too. It's a lot of them. Um, if I had to pick one offensive player, I would say, I mean, it might be biased, but I would say uh, CJ Stroud. Um, if I'm picking someone that was in the this weekend in the bowl game and everything, um, I would say Tech Bell. Um, obviously, CJ Stroud, Ohio State, um, had a hell of a last game, left it on the field. So, why he should. Probably be the number one pick in the drive. Um, but I like Tank Dell also. He's explosive. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but he's, he brings an element in speed. He's shifty. Um, he showed out in the one on one drills. He proved that he was one of the better receivers there. So that's a, uh, gave you two of my favorites. So my mine was hard for an opposite reason. There's not a lot of guys in this, or at least offensively, who I'm in love with. There's guys, of course, I love for Baltimore to draft, but it's very few who I'm like, this is my guy. In every draft, I usually have people like that, but this year is kind of different. But, of course, I got to go with an old reliable, my favorite offensive player is wide receiver Kayshawn Butte out of LSU. While this year was not great by his standards, I still think that people are really ignoring the fact that he has been incredibly productive throughout his entire NFL, I mean, LSU career, and has potential to do big things. While he doesn't exactly have the explosiveness of a Jamar Chase or the route running of uh, Justin Jefferson, he has a nice blend of the two, which has allowed him to be one of the top receivers in the SEC. And I feel like depending on how the combine shakes out and his pro day and interview shakeout I think he has a chance to be a at worst an early day two selection all right let's move on to the fun part now this was hard for me because I had a lot of picks but defensively who is your guy defensively um it's hard I had a lot of them but I'm going to use so instead of saying a lot I'm going to use someone who I'm very excited for now who might really floating in the rain on that's uh, Keanu Bennett, Benson from Wisconsin, the tackle. Um, very intrigued by him. 
Uh, has very good strength, played nose tackle. People don't know nose tackle, de-tackle. Um, watched him in the one-on-ones, very strong, uh, has good technique, great flexibility. If he tests well, he's going to go early. So I like uh, Keanu Benny from Wisconsin. What I'm about to say feels very sacrilegious, but <laughs> Will Anderson is my guy. I love me some Will Anderson, minus when he played LSU. I mean, one thing about Alabama is they're going to put out technicians at linebacker, and that is precisely what he was. And not only was he terrific as a pass rusher, he could also stop the run. In the rare instances he was in coverage, he could do that as well. And I just think that if you were to put together the prototype of what you want a pass rusher in today's NFL to look like, I think Will Anderson absolutely fits that bill. So, unfortunately, I got to go with a Bama man but now we're going to talk about a Georgia man and that is wide receiver AJ Green who after 12 seasons has announced his decision to retire and in those 12 seasons he's had 727 catches 10,514 receiving yards 70 touchdowns and was a seven-time pro bowler as a Cincinnati Bengal of course he played our teams quite a bit caused me quite a bit of grief as a Ravens fan but when you think of this past generation of wide receivers, including the Julios, the Larry Fitzgeralds, Antonio Browns, Megatrons, etc., where do you think AJ Green ranks among them? Oh, uh, um, when AJ uh, Green first got into the league, man, it was him and, and, and Julio. I remember that. Uh, that was the two. He came from Georgia. Julio came from Alabama. Um, I think. AJ Green fell off as he got older because of injuries. Um, I would still say at his time, at one point in time, he was a top, I would say top 10 receiver in the league. Um, injury slowed him down, but definitely give him his respect. When he was on, he was on. Yeah. Um, at his point, like I said, the first, I would say the first three to four years of his career, yeah, he was definitely neck and neck. It was him, it was Julio. It was like, who would you rather have? You had Odell that was in there. But he definitely come in. I think he's top 10 and it's in the generation. Going, watching him grow in that, in that era, I would say he was top 10. Yeah, I would also agree with top 10. I mean, like you said, injuries kind of derailed him. But even still, I mean, he was – a machine. He was terrific. I mean, always in the conversation of being one of the top guys. I think just what hurt him was the team that he played on. The Bengals just weren't they were fine at best, but they never made it past the wild card round. Andy Dalton wasn't exactly the best quarterback, especially when you look at the other quarterbacks at that time that these star wideouts were getting the balls thrown from, with the exception of Megatron, who was mostly doing it by himself. No disrespect to Matthew Stafford in those days, but yeah, A.J. Green, hands down, was top 10. Now, the hard part, is A.J. Green a Hall of Famer? I would say mm, no. I would say no. Um, he is a, he's what you call, he's in the Hall of Very Good. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say he was a Hall of Famer. He's he's in the Hall of Very Good. If you look at his numbers, um, yeah, he was around there. But you got to look at guys like, uh, for instance, Tory Hall. Tory Hall didn't get in the Hall of Fame. Don't think Tory Hall is still in the Hall. I don't think he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's nominated, but somebody like Tory Hall who has the accolades, has the rings, but still can't get in. It has better numbers than. AJ Green, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's a lot of receivers that's going to come before him with better numbers. You have Steve Smith, who's eligible to go into the Hall of Fame. So uh, he's in the Hall of Very Good. Like I said, I think injuries robbed him. And like you said, the team he played on um, also plays a factor. So he's not a Hall of Famer, but he's a Hall of Very Good. And I also don't think he is either because kind of talking about other receivers who were in that conversation, Steve Smith, Andre Johnson, who was a guy who was more productive and had even worse quarterbacks than uh, A.J. Green had to deal with and remained relatively healthy. Another guy, Anquan Bolden, who one could argue he had a better overall career than A.J. Green, while I do think that A.J. was the more talented of the two. So, unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, but I think – 
I wouldn't be surprised if like he got put in the Bengals Ring of Honor or something like that. But I don't think they're well, gonna retire his number or anything. Well, I would say I would say this. He's 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 not a Hall of Famer because he's not well he's he's not the best receiver in Bengals history. No. He's probably not gonna be second for long. Right now, he's ranked second all the time in receptions, yards, and touchdowns behind, uh, you know, obviously Chad Johnson. Um, and that's another person who has, again, has better numbers, who had a more impact on the game that you remember, still not in the Hall of Fame in Chad Johnson. So, no, I don't think, again, he's in the Hall of Very Good, but he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, we are absolutely in agreement because, yeah, I think, not saying you have to be the best player at your respective position for a team to make the Hall of Fame, but it definitely strengthens your argument. Because let's be honest, even Chad Johnson, who was remarkable, I don't think he's going to be a first ballot Hall Actually, if he was, he would have already been in if he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't even know if he's actually had his name discussed in the conversation. No, they, he was. I don't think he's run up in the finals. Yeah, so I don't think A.J. Green is going to be one either. No. But let's talk about somebody who is guaranteed a spot in the Hall of Fame. Honestly, it really don't do no good to wait five years because Tom Brady has quote-unquote retired for good. Now, I don't know how for good it is. I'm still a bit skeptical because we saw this movie last year. 40 days later, he comes back. But in your opinion, do you think that Tom is really done? Um, I would say yes this time. Um... I think that if you really saw last year, Tom, it looked like he enjoyed playing football anymore. I mean, if you look at the years before, you can kind of see, like, the passion. Like, you know, Tom seemed like he's enjoyed it out there. It seemed like he was miserable this season. Yeah. Uh, he was very angry, it seemed like. His professional life got wrong on the forefront. Um, so I believe this is it. I believe last year he didn't get to retire the way he wanted to because it got spilled out. And this year he was like, I want to go out on my own terms without somebody ruining it. Um, and I also believe he might have had an um, agreement maybe with his ex-wife towards if he just quit, it might happen. So I, I believe time is done. He has nothing else to prove. Um, he went out in the playoffs. Even though it was an early exit, he went out. So... Tom is done. He got nothing else to prove, and he went out in his own way. So I think he's done. I I would be. Sh- I'll say this: I wouldn't be shocked if he came back, but I'm leaning more towards I think he's done as well. Um, I the only reason why I wouldn't be shocked if he came back is just in the sense of I don't think he'd want to go out like that because I think last year, even though of course they still lost in a uh, divisional round to the Rams. It was a very competitive game. Had a few things gone differently. He could have been in that NFC Championship and then potentially in the Super Bowl. It could have been a very different story as opposed to this year where they were just bad all year. Like you said, he looked miserable, looked upset, and they get their asses kicked by the Cowboys in the wild card round. And I think that there's so much uncertainty surrounding the Bucks right now. I can understand him not wanting to go in that situation, but you're 45, going to be 46 in August. Do you really want to try to start over with a brand new team? I know, personally, I wouldn't, and I'm 23. So I can I can understand how it could be over for Tom. However, his former uh, team owner, Robert Kraft, said he's hoping that TB12 will make his return to Foxborough. Um, in a recent interview with CNN, CNN, he said, not only do I want Tom to retire a Patriot, our fans are clamoring for it. To us, he is all, he is always, uh, I'm sorry, he has always been and will always be a Patriot. We will do everything in our power to bring him back, have him sign off a Patriot and find ways to honor him for many years to come. Now, while I'm sure we both agree that he should do it, will Tom Brady actually retire a, uh, retire a Patriot? Yes. Um, obviously the way he left was bad blood between him and Bill. Um, but I also do believe they respect each other. I believe one, people say it wasn't Bill or was it Tom. I believe one can be great without the other. I believe early on it was Bill, later on it was Tom. That's what I believe the first couple Super Bowls was Bill. And the second Super Bowls, the second half of the Super Bowls was Tom. Um, all good things come to an end and unfortunately ended badly. But they also create something that will never be duplicated. They were a dynasty. 
And when you think about Tom Brady, yes, you know he played for Tampa, but you think about Tom Brady with the Patriots. So Tom Brady is the Patriots. He's been the face of the Patriots. And like I said, he he, he bleeds that color Patriot. So um, they came up with the slogan Patriot Way. So, yes, I think I think Tom retires as a Patriot. I think he comes back. I think him and Bill, they bury the hatchet. He's retired now. So, yes, I, I think he becomes retired as a Patriot. I think he will, too. I think at this point, why not? Let's be honest. The Patriots going to retire his jersey regardless. I wouldn't be shocked if it happened within the next couple of years. Um, and, I mean, he's just meant so much to that organization, has played a, such a huge role in their success. And so, nah, I think I think he'll do it. I mean, you spent a couple years with another team. You won your Super Bowl. You proved that you were the guy, regardless of where you went. So, I don't think there should be any reason for him not to go back to New England and get retired. So, now we talked a lot about the player. Well, let's talk about the team that he is leaving, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. During the Pro Bowl week, star defensive end Cam uh, Jordan for the New Orleans Saints had this to say about the Bucs. He said, we salute him, and speaking of Tom Brady, and wish him the best in whatever that, that, that next endeavor is. We're glad he's out of the division. Tampa will probably go back to where Tampa Bay has been. For those of you who have been sleeping under a rock or have only looked at the Bucks since Tom Brady's been playing, they have been historically bad despite having solid players on their roster. I mean, a lot of 8-8 eight and eight seasons, the Jameis 30-for-30 30 30 year, or that illustrious 0-16 year. It's been really rough for the team at that quarterback position. So we can go really in-depth in this at a later point of the show. But for right now, take away Tom Brady. Are the Bucks the worst team in the NFC South? I say no. I still think it's the Falcons. No, it's the Falcons. Um, I agree with you. It's the Falcons. I believe if the Bucks are doing a rebuild, I do believe they'll trade some of their key pieces, and I believe that some of the pieces that are free agents that are older will be gone. I love Levante David. I was reading uh, there's a chance they could trade some of their players like Mike Evans or your boy Devin White, you know, if they're really trying to rebuild. So, um, no. But I think the Falcons are the worst team in the division. I think it's Atlanta. Um, They need a lot of help on defense. Um, Offensively, they have a run game. They have a receiver. Um, You don't really know what you have in tight end and pits. Quarterback is still a mystery. Um, so, no, it's still it's still Atlanta. Atlanta's the worst team in the division. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it. They are. The Bucks are in a really tough cap situation. I mean, of course, Levante David's a potential free agent. Same for Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy, Bunton, guys like that. But I still – I like what they – even if they were to make some moves, I do like overall their base over what the Falcons have. I think that the Falcons are a team that – they get by without a not a lot of star power and they compete but it's still it's not enough to get them over the top and i feel like the bucks are a team where if they were able to maybe add some more pass rush get another solidified corner so carlton davis doesn't have to be that one maybe not this year but in the future get a quarterback who doesn't have to be perfect but good enough I think that the bucks could still be good enough to not be at the bottom of that division because real talk that division is still wide open. The Saints don't know what they're doing at quarterback. They're in another situation where they need to get some cap space. Carolina, Frank Reichel will get to. He's the new head coach. They're going to be looking at a new quarterback. It's going to take some time for the rookie to get it together. Same for that defense. So that division is still very much so wide open. And it could be a year like with the uh, AFC South this year where somebody wins it without winning double-digit games. So I think the division is still very much so wide open. And so kind of speaking on Frank Wright, let's go ahead and get to these head coaching hires. And let's start with Frank Wright himself. Now, after the Carolina Panthers strong uh, finish to the season, many were clamoring for Steve Wilkes, the interim head coach, to take over as the team head coach. But instead, Frank Reich was hired as the new guy. However, reports are coming out that there are Panthers players who privately think that David Tepper hired the wrong coach and were disappointed that Wilkes did not get the job. Do you think that Carolina made a mistake going with Frank Reich instead of uh, sticking with Wilkes? Yes. Um, And I say this because I'm a Cleveland fan, and I know what it's like to jump from coach to coach. 
you have to build stability in the locker room. Believe to Steve Wilkes, you can tell how the way they played. They went on a run. They had a chance. You know the division was weak. They went on a run and had a chance to get to the playoffs. Um, they played hard for him. I think if they would have had a year with him bringing in who he wanted to bring in and him taking over, um, they would have been better. They also battled injuries. So um, I definitely do think they made a mistake. Um, you brought him in for a second interview, which was weird. Um, and you knew you weren't going to hire him. So no, they, they definitely made a mistake. I think they stepped on a lot of people's toes. They tempered it, and, and a lot of people, I know a lot of players don't really, ain't really feeling temper. So, yeah, I think they made a huge mistake in doing that. I think I can understand why they did it, but like you said, I mean, it's it's clear that the team had rallied around Steve Wilkes. He got a lot more out of them than, honestly, I think they you could say that they ever got out of Frank Rule. And I think that now, like you said, you're starting over with a whole new head coach, getting a brand new coaching staff. He's going to change all of his philosophies. And, I mean, mind you, Steve Wilkes was more of a defensive-minded head coach. And what did that team do well? They pounded the rock, ran the ball tremendously well, and played good defense. Now it's going to be kind of a change to the tide where they're going to try to be more offensive-minded. And at this very moment, they don't even have a quarterback. And nope. I don't know exactly what Carolina, how long it's going to take for Carolina to get there. Whereas with Steve Wilkes, because he has that familiarity with the team, I think that he would have put them in a better situation to get to where they wanted to be a bit faster. So yeah, no, we're we're in agreement. I don't love this decision, and I feel like if Frank Wright doesn't get them to at least where they were this year, where they were in contention for that uh, NFC South crown, I think it's going to be a big disappointment. And fans and players alike are going to be looking back at the decision not to keep Steve Wilkes. All right, let's keep things in the South. And let's talk to Miko Ryans being hired as the head coach of his former team, the Houston Texans, signing a six-year deal in a move that has been universally liked. I know I, Rome wasn't building today, and neither are the Houston Texans. But do you believe that D'Amico Ryan's is the right hire to lead the Texans to prominence? Um, that's a trick question because I'm gonna say yes, but I believe Lovey Smith was too. Yeah. Uh, I just think D'Amico Ryan's was smart when he got security and asked for six years. Um, but yes, I believe he's gonna lead them to prominence. I believe they're going to. I'm not going to say prominence, but I do believe they're going to be around. They're going to be competitive. I do believe they were competitive this season, but I do believe now with a more defensive mind that's someone that's actually played the position of linebacker who's affiliated with their franchise, who was one of their better defensive players in the franchise, will get them going. Um, I believe that he can connect with the players better. I believe that now that he has six years, he has control more control over the roster than a lot of the previous head coaches. So I do believe that they'll be more competitive. Yeah, I think so too, because you and I have talked about it when we were ranking the head coaching openings was the question of security in Houston. And I think that with that six-year deal, I think that this allows D'Amico Ryan's time to get this team right. Because like I said, this isn't going to be a one-year the Texans are in it. They have so many needs from top to bottom, and it starts at the most important position, that is quarterback. And while you have the second overall pick and you have an opportunity to do that, there's still so many other things that this team needs before they can be consistently competitive. Because we saw that with under Lovey Smith, especially down the stretch. And if they can just get some more consistent playmakers on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, they have a chance. And I think that D'Amico Ryans, we kind of already saw how the 49ers defense rallied around him. And sure, it's not going to be the same amount of talent that's going to be um, in Houston. But like you said, I think that he's somebody that the team can rally around and have hope in. And I think that the front office will actually give him a shot to build this team in the right way as opposed to just throwing him out like they did with uh, Lovey Smith and then head coach David Culley the year before. But all right, let's talk well, about the – I'm sorry. I was going to say, yeah, sorry to work. I was but, yeah, he's also a player's coach. You know, one thing I've noticed is that players respect – players respect coaches who's been in the locker room before, who's been in their shoes. You know, you can connect better with them. And he's someone that's been in that franchise, that's been in that locker room before, that's been on the other side, who excel. When Amico Ryan's played, he was, he was damn good. So he, you know, it's it's 
it's a difference. So I definitely believe that Texas will be Texas will be all right. Yeah, and I just think that the fans and the front office have to be patient. And I think that because D'Amico Ryan's age and because he was one of the hottest uh, head coaching candidates this year, I think that. The Texans, I'll say this, the Texans cannot fire him. Unless he does something completely egregious, They even if they go 2-15, and 15, something like that, they can't get rid of him because it will be a terrible look. Not only did you fire three straight coaches after one year, but they're all three black head coaches. No black coaching candidate is going to even want to look in the direction of Houston if they really were to craft the bed with D'Amico Ryans. But all right, last but not least, we got to talk about the big fish, and that is Sean Payton being traded, <laughs> quote-unquote, to the Denver Broncos to serve as their new head coach in a move that I think we all kind of expected to happen, but the price tag was something that gave a lot of people pause. Reason being, here's what the team had to give up in order to get him. They had to give up their first-round pick this year and a second-round pick next year while they get Sean Payton and then, I believe, a third-round pick the year after next, if I'm not mistaken. So let's start things off. You and I both talked about the potential compensation for Sean Payton. If I'm giving up a one and a two for a coach, I better get a Super Bowl, or am I tripping? And do Are my expectations too high? No, you got to get a Super Bowl. Um, if you look at every coach that was traded for a pick, I believe that they even went to the Super Bowl or won it. Um, you look at John Gruden, who did it with Tampa. Uh, he went to a Super Bowl. Mike Holmgren in Seattle, he went to a Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it's, it's been happening. you got to get to a Super Bowl or, um, you know, it's a bust. Um you, you're correct. So to answer that part of the question, yes, you're, you're correct. You have to get to a Super Bowl. And so looking at the team now, of course, we haven't really gotten to the offseason yet, so there's much work to be done. But with this current Broncos team, I think they can definitely make the playoffs, but I don't think they have enough to get to the Super Bowl. So what do you think this offseason, because now they don't have a one, and I don't. They don't have a two because that's in Seattle. Their first pick starts in the third round. What do you think has to be the first thing Sean Payton has to do to get this team right? What is the biggest point of emphasis? So you have to start. You have to start. Uh, first of all, you have to find an identity. But close second is you have to protect Russ. You got to get him some help on the O line. And uh, I do believe Russ has just had a down year. I do believe he's going to take it more. Serious this season coming up, uh, but defensively they were good. Wide receivers had to step up. Judy, you know, Judy stepped up later in the year and looked like a first round pick. Um, but I do believe it starts in the trenches. They need to have an identity and they need to protect Russ. Like their O line definitely needs to be worked on. You have to start there. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean. Russell's one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league, and not to make excuses for him, he did have a bad year. But still, it's very hard when your receivers are consistently dropping the ball or your court, or your offensive line has the most pre-snap penalties in the league. It's very hard to get much of anything going. Add in the fact they really don't have much of a run game. So I think the offensive line as well has to be a major point of emphasis because that defense is still pretty good. While not having exactly superstar players, especially in their front seven, they managed to get the job done, still have one of the top defenses overall in the league and so I think that this is going to be a very offensive heavy offseason and I think that like you said it really starts with the offensive line former quarterback for Sean Payton Drew Brees was really ecstatic for both Russ and Sean Payton with the pairing and said the next seven or eight years are positioned to be the best of Russell Wilson's career a la under Sean Payton. Do you see a resurgence to Russ, kind of similar to what we saw with Drew Brees in New Orleans? Uh, I'm going to say we got a small resurgence. Yes, we're not a big resurgence. I think Russ is going to be Russ that we knew in Seattle. Again, I just think Russ had a down year, which happens. Um, new environment, expectations. Um, I think he just had a down year. I think this season, if he was bagging on Russ and 
teammates was kind of dragging rest through the mud and everything. I do believe that rest takes it more serious and try to come back with the vengeance. Um, so I'm going to say it's a small resurgence, but I think it's just Russ is going to be doing what Russ does. I think Russ is, Russell Wilson is what he is at this point in his career. So you know what Russ is when he's on. Um, definitely top quarterback in this league, and I do believe we'll see that again. So I'll say a small resurgence. Yeah, I think that Russ – I think so. I don't think it's going to be another situation kind of like with Drew Brees with the Saints where Russ is going to be throwing 4,500 yards per season. I don't think that's going to be the case because, one, the Saints didn't have a run game at that time and they didn't have a defense, so they were always throwing the ball a lot. So I don't think he's going to put up crazy numbers like that. But I do think that not even just because Sean Payton, I think we're going to get a better Russell Wilson this upcoming season. And then with Sean Payton, if they're able to improve this offensive line and they're actually going to have a proven play caller, I think that the Broncos have a shot to be much, much better and Russell Wilson specifically. All right, let's go ahead and – uh, look at these offensive and defensive coordinator hires. I'll admit, um, the exercise is to pick our top three favorites, and all of mine are defensive. I have not really seen an offensive coordinator hire that I love. I don't know if you're the same way. Um, no, I'm, I'm the same. I'm the same. Like, I really haven't, like, really been like, oh, man, this is a good hire. Like, I really haven't offensively, though, defensively, Yes, offensively, it's 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 been a struggle. It's it's been bad. Yeah, it has been. So let's go ahead and uh, let's talk some of our favorite coordinator hires thus far. And my number three is your Cleveland Browns hiring Jim Schwartz. I mean, he's a proven defensive mind. Has had a lot of success in the league, whether it be um, helping the Lions to not be completely terrible on the defense side of the ball when he was their head coach to his work with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that he brings a nice edge and attitude to this Browns defense that seriously needs one. Um, my number three would be the Vikings hiring Brian Flores. Um, definitely need help with it defensively. I mean, they offensively, they were ticking last year. They were clicking. Defensively, as you saw in that playoff game, they got freaking torch. I think Brian Flores is going to bring passion to that defense is going to bring toughness to that defense. So I like that pick for Brian Flores. Good for him. So I'm going to say Brian Flores is my number three. All right, number two for me is Ajiro Ivero as the new Panthers defensive coordinator. I know that you and I both mentioned we didn't exactly love Frank Wright taking over his HC, but I do think that Ivero brings a nice set of experience with him. The Broncos, like I mentioned, while their offense was not great, they still had one of the top defenses in the league. And I think that the Panthers defense is another one that may not have crazy superstars with the exception of Brian Burns. I think that they showed a lot of flashes last year of being really good. And I think that under Rivero, they have a shot to be even better. Yeah, that's, that's we agree on that one. Uh, that was also my number two. Um, you look at what he did in Denver, um, look at their defense. They had a top top five defense. Um, Carolina had a good defense already. Plus, you're close to the second half of the season. I do believe, like you said, they'll make them better. Especially that division that's wide open. I think if you, like you said last year, if you can play defense and run the ball, you put yourself in a good position to get to the playoffs. I like his scheme fits. I like the fact that he brings pressure. And he gets rush up for so he's also somebody I was looking at. That one I wanted in Cleveland, so I think for Carolina that's definitely a good fit. Yeah, and then number one, you mentioned him as your three, but Brian Flores to the Vikings. I love this move. Um, if you look at the talent that the Vikings have had on defense, whether it be Harrison Smith, Daniil Hunter, uh, Eric Kendricks, Patrick Peterson is coming off a really good year. It's insane how bad this defense has been for years. And I think that Brian Flores, one thing we can say about the Dolphins when he was there was that defense was up to snuff. His time with the Steelers, let's be honest, he was a linebacker's coach. Linebackers didn't play that great. But overall, that defense did kind of have a come-to-Jesus moment after T.J. Watt got hurt and they recognized they needed to be better. And I think that the Minnesota Vikings recognized that in Brian Flores and knew that they needed to change a place. They need somebody that the team can really rally behind. And I think Flores can be that guy. Do I think this is a one-year rental? Yes, because if I, I think that if the Vikings can have a top 10, maybe top 12 defense, Flores is going to get an opportunity to be a head coach elsewhere next year. But for right now, I love this move for Minnesota. 
Yeah, my number one is actually your number three, unsurprisingly, and I like Joe Schwartz coming over to Cleveland. Um, I like Joe Schwartz a lot. I actually wanted him as our coach one year when he was interviewing here, but the guy is very passionate, very old school, learned from Belichick, um, runs a wide nine. If you look at pretty much everywhere he has been, he has produced a star or, I mean, a star, a pro bowl, be tackle. He prioritized being tough up front on the line, which we have been lacking. We play in the AFC North. You have to have dogs up front or you will get ran over. And we saw that this season, like, if you can't stop the run, you leave yourself wide open. Um, I do believe he's going to come in and change it. He's going to make life for Miles Garrett very, very easy. So I'm, I'm loving this. He's bringing the toughness. He's bringing the swagger to the defense. And I love the fact that he's holding players accountable. Um, so, yeah, I love the old-fashionedness of him. So, for me, it's Jim Swartz. I hear you. All right, let's go ahead and play this fun game of Believable or Buffoonery before breaking down this Sunday Super Bowl. We've talked a lot about TB12, as a lot of players have been doing this week, and so much so that Taylor Lewan, offensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans, said, we should retire the number 12 for every team in the NFL. Similar to what the NBA just did for Bill Russell in the number six, Believable or Buffoonery, the NFL should retire the number 12. I'm going to call Buffoonery. But I like the thought. Yeah, I'm going to say before today also. Um, they're definitely going to probably consider it. But I'm going to say buffoonery. I mean, time was there something that, like I said, no other – I believe that no other player in NFL history will do will get seven. That's just my opinion. Um, but I don't believe they're retired at number 12. I mean, to retire for every team, um, that's, that's significant. That's very significant, but no, I don't think they'll do it. Yeah, I don't think so either. All right, let's go ahead and move on to another quarterback situation. That's the San Francisco 49ers. Following the postseason uh, interview with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they were both asked about the potential future of upcoming free agent Jimmy G, in which Shanahan said, no, I don't see any scenario where Jimmy coming back happens. While it makes some sense, you get you just spend a third overall pick a couple years back on Trey Lance. Then you have Brock Purdy, who shows up towards the end of the year but suffers that UCL injury. It makes kind of sense not wanting to pay Jimmy G. However, Joe Montana, another quarterback, one who was considered one of the greatest of all time, thinks that is the wrong decision. He said, looking at the 49ers quarterback situation next year, I start Jimmy. He has won a lot of games. I can't say the same for Trey. I don't think it's hard. I just think you start Jimmy. So, believable or buffoonery, the 49ers are making a mistake not keeping Jimmy G. Uh, making a mistake? Uh, that's buffoonery. I think they're made. I think they're doing the right thing. Um, Jimmy G gets hurt. Uh, Jimmy G can't get you over the hump. Um, Jimmy G is average as hell. Um, well, I said below average. Um, no. And then you're paying them all that money to free yourself up. No. They have Trey Lance, who still, I believe, is still has a lot to learn. And Brock Purdy just shows you something um, in a few games you just saw. And you have Kyle Shanahan, one of the top offensive lines, who, who from a moment can make Josh Johnson look good. So, no. They're not making a mistake. So, that's that's that's, that's before. Yeah, I'm going to say before as well. Jimmy G is fine, but... I'll admit I've seen better games from Brock Bur- Brock Purdy in that time through most of Jimmy G's time with the 49ers. And so because of that, I just think, while it definitely does complicate matters because you don't know the health of Brock Purdy or when he's going to come back, and then Trey Lance, you don't know exactly know what you have in them. But I would save my money, cut my losses, and try it out with the young guns and then see what happens over Jimmy G. So I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. All right, we got a couple more. We're heading to the desert. Um, There's still two head coaching opportunities still available, and that's the Arizona Cardinals and the Indianapolis Colts. 
while it looks like Brian Flores, who was a candidate for the head coaching job in Arizona, is gone, it seems that the job overall is not considered that lucrative. Uh, reports are coming out by Tony Pauline, who said the Cardinals head coaching search is taking longer due to Kyler Murray's contract. Many of the desired candidates don't want to take the job knowing they'll be tied to the hip of Kyler Murray for the next four years. So believable or buffoonery, Kyler Murray is making it difficult for the Cardinals to find their next head coach. That's believable. Um, when you become a head coach, you kind of want to bring in your own guys. You don't want to be tied to someone unless it's tied to like a, a quarterback that you know as a top 10 quarterback. Um, that's believable. First of all, he's undersized, which he's great when he has great games. Um, second of all, but at the same time, when he has great games, it's inconsistent. Third of all, he's, he's towards ACL. So the very thing that made him dangerous, he just tore. So you don't know how healthy he's going to be. His contract eats up a lot of cap space, so you're stuck to it again. You want to bring your own guy in. And if this guy starts to lose, that's your job. So, no. And then he has an attitude problem. You see what happened when he didn't get his way about pounding, you know, on the Cardinals before he got this contract and everything. Um, we saw how he looked at a playoff game. They were saying that he didn't read his book, his playbooks like that. He didn't take it serious. So in hearing all that, Obviously, that makes it, you know, harder to want that job. So, it's very believable. Yeah, I'm going to say believable as well. Like, no disrespect to Kyler because we know he has the potential, but it's just like we know he's good on the field, but it's just like the attitude. And while it's not like egregiously bad stuff like we got from players like um, – Jim John uh Johnny Manziel or even some of the not taking accountability things with regards to Baker Mayfield even though Kyler Murray has shown he has issues taking accountability as well but I I can understand not wanting to deal with that especially when you factor on top that the Cardinals are a team honestly at a rebuild or just above being at a rebuild? I mean, D-Hop is more likely going to get traded. That offensive line has some problems. Defensively, you're losing your second-best player. So it's really Buda Baker and the temptations out there. And so I think it's going to take a lot of work to get this Cardinals team in a better situation. And one would think that having a franchise quarterback would make it easier. But in this case, I don't think it does. All right, last but not least, we're going back to AFC North, more specifically the Cincinnati Bengals and T. Higgins. Reports are coming out that if Bengals wide receiver could be traded for a top draft pick if the team can't reach an ex extension with him and the money he's asking for is outrageous. He's entering the final year of his rookie deal and has gone over 1,000 yards in back-to-back -back seasons. While this is usually Lions season, we always hear about potential trades and whatnot, but believable or buffoonery, the Bengals will end up trading T. Higgins. Oh, that's hard. That could actually go that could actually go either way. I'm gonna say buffoonery. I'm gonna go a lot of before. It's easy to go, you know, that it's believable. I'm gonna say buffoonery. Um I think they have a dynamic duo with him. Well, dynamic trio with him, boy, and obviously Chase. I think them being to a Super Bowl and so close to going and the chemistry he has with Joe, I think he takes less money than what people think. Um, I think he winds up taking a sacrifice and staying there. Um, it's easy to say believable because, like I said, you have Joe contract coming up and Chase and other things, but I believe Higgins – takes less money, not a lot, but I think he takes less than market value to stay there because they have something special. So I, I believe, it's, I, I'm going to say buffoonery. Yeah. I'm going to go with buffoonery. Yeah, I'm with you because, like, what exactly is outrageous? Because the Bengals are in pretty good cap space. And maybe I'm crazy, but if it comes down to having to give T. Higgins the bag or Jesse Bates the bag, I'm going to go with awesome. T. Higgins. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm, I'm going T. Higgins. Like, Jesse Bates is great, but I feel like you can find a solid safety. You can find somebody who does what Jesse Bates does. And while you could say the same thing about T. Higgins, he's someone who on most teams would be a number one wideout. But you just so happen to have Jamar Chase, who is an absolute monster at that position. So why trade essentially a 1B wide receiver if you don't have to? And so I think that they'll be able to get it done. 
Because I just I don't understand making your team weaker if you don't have to. Because who could you feasibly draft or possibly sign in free agency who would be better than T. Higgins? And the answer really is nobody. Hell, I wish ba- I wish Baltimore would at least call. I know that Cincinnati, there's no way they would do it. But I mean, hey, the 22nd overall pick, that's that's not bad. So I'd call. I would ask nicely about it because, nah, T. Higgins is a bad dude. So if I'm Cincy, I'm not letting him leave without making it hard for him to. But all right, let's go ahead and break down the Super Bowl. Starting off with what we deem the most important matchup. Um, most important matchup to me is the Chiefs corners versus the Eagles wide receivers. How will they match up? Um, I think if you can find a way to slow down AJ Green, give yourself a chance. Um, but that's a hard thing to do. I don't see anyone on the Chiefs defense locking him up. So that's an interesting matchup. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say that's the interesting matchup. If we're going player, I mean, obviously I think it's gonna be Sneed, Sneed on AJ Brown. So that's 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 what I'm watching. But it's the secondary of the Chiefs versus the offensive wide receivers of the Eagles. All right, I'm gonna go in the trenches. I'm gonna say the Chiefs offensive line versus the Eagles defensive line. The Chiefs. All on after the Super Bowl a couple years back against the Bucks, they learned from their mistakes. They got a lot. They spent a lot of money in draft picks on protecting Patrick Mahomes and have done a pretty good job overall doing so. However, the Philadelphia Eagles didn't get 70 sacks by accident. They were an absolute terror on quarterbacks this season. And I think that the Chiefs have to play their best overall game this year in order to win this game. And I get it. We did see uh, Patrick Mahomes kind of getting touched uh, a couple weeks ago in that AFC championship, but this is a whole different monster. I think the offensive line has to absolutely be clicking in order to keep Patrick Mahomes upright so he can get his the ball out. And then vice versa, the same for the Eagles. They have to play their best game because they know that if they give Patrick Mahomes too much time in the pocket to wheel and deal, it's going to be all she wrote. So that, to me, is the most important matchup. All right, let's talk biggest X factor. For the Chiefs, who's your biggest X factor? (sighs) Obviously, you can say uh, Patrick Mahomes, but I'm going to say Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, to me, is the biggest X factor. Close second was Chris Jones, but I'm going to say Travis Kelsey. Um, he's definitely the Chiefs' best weapon. Besides Patrick Mahomes, he's the Chiefs' best offensive weapon that they have. Um, I believe he's going to lose you and win you the game. If you can lock him down, and it's hard to do, you win the game, obviously. But if you let him take over and make clutch catches and keep it close, they're going to find a way to win. So I'm going to say Travis Kelsey. For me, I'm going to say Trent McDuffie. You kind of hit it on the head. I think that the Chiefs secondary versus those wide receivers is going to be huge. And you mentioned Ladarius Sneed, who is their number one. I think that you don't spend a first-round pick on a a cornerback and not expect them to have an impact. And Trent McDuffie has been playing pretty well overall this season. But he's going to have his hands full um, against Devontae Smith, who I believe is going to be that matchup. So I think he's going to have to play one of his biggest games in order to keep that team in check. Because let's be honest, Jarius Sneed is going to have his own problems with A.J., but like the Eagles like to say, they don't have a set number one wide receiver. They have one A and one B with Devontae Smith. So they're going to need Trent McDuffie to be on his A game. All right, for the Eagles, who's their biggest X factor? Hmm, this one is a lot of them. But I'm going to say it's a collective group, and I'm going to say Asai Ray. Um, you have to get to Patrick Mahomes. Um, yeah, when you get to him, you have to get him to the ground. Sorry, they had an out-of-his-world game in the NFC Championship game. I believe if we could have a game like that, they will win. I believe that, like you said, they put a lot of money in that offensive line to protect Patrick because you saw what happened if you could get to him. I believe the Eagles can do that with their collective group. You have Graham, you have Cox, you have all these guys on there. But it's been Hassan Reddick that's really been shining as of late. So I'm going to say Hassan Reddick. 
Uh, for me, I'm going to say Kenneth Gainwell. Miles Sanders is RB1 in Philadelphia, but Kenneth Gainwell has made some terrific plays throughout this postseason, scoring majority of their touchdowns on the ground. And I do think that if they're able to find some rushing lanes and can get Kenneth Gainwell the ball and he can use some of that explosivity, I think that that's going to be a really big advantage for the Eagles because we already know what the Chiefs are going to do. They'll run the ball from time to time, but you know that their bread and butter is to run the ball. I mean, throw the ball, whereas the Eagles are the opposite. They'll throw the ball. They absolutely have the weapons to do so, but their run game is what really helped to get them here, and I don't see that changing. And I think Kenneth Gainwell has been their best rusher this season. All right, let's talk the greatest strengths of both teams, starting with the Chiefs. Greatest thing that Jeff think is their creativity. Um, I think it's the fact that it's their coach. Offensive line and coach Andy Reid is their biggest strength to me. I think it's just the – to get yards and creativity players to use, to be able to use their players, do what they do best in certain situations. Um, that's their biggest weapon to me. That's what's going to keep them in the game, just their creativity. I mean, I, again, you can either say Patrick Mahomes or you can say Travis Kelsey, but I'm going to say, I'm going to give it to Andy Reid. I'm going to say it's their offensive creativity. Uh, for me, you mentioned, I'm going to say the duo of Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I mean, I don't want to say that they're defense-proof, but they're pretty close to being it. I mean, when those two are clicking, it's almost impossible to stop. We've seen that plenty of times this season as we have the years in the past. And I think that if Philly is unable to slow those cats down, it's going to be rough. But all right, what about you uh, for the Eagles? The Eagles' biggest weapon. This was this is hard to battle back for me again because I like the corners. But I'm going to say, obviously, this one's. So I'm going to go. Obviously, I'm going to say Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts' legs. His um, so arm was important. Yes, but what makes Jalen Hurts dangerous is his fact that he can take off and run. I believe that's the biggest weapon that the Eagles have. Um, offensively, again, you have to worry about AJ Brown. You have to worry about Smith. You have to worry about Goddard. They have weapons. But you also have to worry about Jalen Hurts taking off. So I do believe Jalen Hurts, that's their biggest weapon that they have. It's his leg. Uh, for me, I'm going to say offensive balance. While we haven't seen much of that balance in the offense, in the postseason, because it's been more so a running show. I mean, throughout the year, the Eagles did a nice job of running the ball well, but also making really smart plays through the air. I mean, Jalen Hurts only had six uh, interceptions this year. was very smart with his decision-making. Then you factor in his uh, pass-catching group made up of, of course, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins had a solid year, as did Dallas Goddard. And so because of that, I think that this the way that they can attack you in so many different ways is something that makes the Eagles just so, so dangerous. All right, biggest weaknesses starting with the Chiefs. Wide receivers. Wide um, receivers. Outside of Travis Kelsey, who's a tight end, yes, they have a bunch of names and a collective group, but there, there's really nobody that scares you. Obviously, we know the number 10 is missing, Tyree Hill. He's no longer there. Um, now you have no game breaker. Yes, Miko Harmon is fast, but you really don't feel like you were fair to Tyreek. Um, Kadarius Tony, yeah, he's decent. He's all right. So I'm, I'm going to say wide receivers is their biggest weakness um, for them. I'm going to say their secondary. I think they have guys who are fine in the likes of LeJarrius Sneed and Trent McDuffie. Jalen Watson, the rookie, has had a pretty good year. Um, same for Justin Reed and Shawan Thornhill. But there's nobody who puts the fear of God in you back there. There's nobody who you're like, even, I don't know if I want to throw the ball to them. And I think that because of that, that's going to help the Eagles in the regard of they're going to take their wide receivers over these DBs every time, and rightfully so. And so I think that because their secondary lacks that that guy, especially since they let Tyron uh, Matthew walk last this past offseason, I think that that could end up costing them. All right, what about the biggest weakness with the Eagles? Mm, biggest weakness with the Eagles. For this particular game, I'm going to go safeties. Um, Chauncey Garner-Jones is nice. Don't get it wrong. But again, he's going against the best tight end in the NFL and Travis Kelsey. Um, I do believe Patrick Mahomes is going to take advantage of that. 
Uh, we just want to watch what that safety do. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is very good when it comes to zone and finding the holes in the zone. Um, I'm, so I'm, I'm going to say for this game in particular, I want to say safety. I'm going to say the unknown surrounding Jalen Hurts. You mentioned his legs as a strength, and it absolutely is. I mean, when Jalen Hurts gets the ball running, watch out. It's very hard to slow down that offense when you have that threat, especially because, let's be honest, it's not many defensive players, specifically on the Chiefs, who can catch up to him. But, like I mentioned, the postseason's been all about the run. They have been running the ball tremendously, whereas passing the ball has not exactly been the same luster. In both of their past playoff games, they've thrown for less than 200 yards, and they have. And uh, Jalen Hurts hasn't had a 300-plus passing yard game since December 18th. It's been a while since his arm has really been tested, and I feel like this is going to end up being a game where they're going to need Jalen's arm in order to get over the hump. And so because of that, I'm still I'm a little bit wary of uh, Jalen Hurts being able to use his arm to do it. But all right. The moment we all been waiting for. Who is winning the Super Bowl? I believe it's going to come down to, in my opinion, who has the best offensive line. Yeah. In my opinion, right now, I believe the Chiefs are going to win. I believe the Chiefs answered them out as far as having the best offensive line. I believe the Chiefs have been there before. Patrick Mahomes has been there before. I believe he knows what it's like to win and to lose. Um, I believe they will play mistake-free. So I believe that Jalen Hurts will turn the ball over, which will cost him. So for me, I believe the Chiefs get it done. I believe they protect their quarterback just a little bit more than the Eagles do. So I'm going Chiefs. Yeah, I'm going Chiefs too, Um, but I'm going to go for a different direction. Uh, Like I mentioned, I mean, Jalen Hurts' legs is a beast. and I mean, if he's able to run the ball, that's going to cause a lot of damage. But I feel like the Chiefs' game plan, and Steve Spagnuolo is going to do a really good job of keeping Jalen Hurts in the pocket. If you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us with your arm. And I think that because if I got to pick between which quarterback I trust more dropping back to pass – I'm going with Patrick Mahomes 10 times out of 10. And no disrespect to Jalen Hurts because this has been a tremendous year for him and I hope he gets paid and I'm happy that he's shown that he is really the guy Philly drafted him to be. But I just don't trust him enough yet to put the game on his shoulders and really carry his team to victory, especially against a team like the Chiefs who've been here before, they've seen this movie before, they were just here a couple of years ago and they've learned from those mistakes. So, push gun to shove. I'm with you. I got Chiefs. All right, let's break down the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching. Offensively, I've said his name quite a bit. I'm looking at Jalen Hurts. I want to see if he can prove me wrong. Offensively, for the Eagles, I'm watching A.J. Brown. Like, I think he's going to definitely be the X factor in this game. I think, like you said, they've been running the ball. I think they know that the Chiefs know that they've been running the ball. They're going to try to take the runaway. So I'm looking at A.J. Brown. All right, defensively, I'm looking at Chris Jones. I mean, we kind of talked about the Chiefs, I mean, the offensive line of the Eagles doing some work. And we know that Chris Jones has been making it work all season. I think that it's going to be a great test watching him go up against the likes of Jason Kelsey, who I believe is a future Hall of Famer. But if Chris Jones can win those matchups, he's going to be very disruptive and make life very hard for that Eagles backfield. Defensively, I'm looking at Nick Bolton. For the exact reason, like you said, he's going to probably have to spy Jalen Hurts. So can Nick Bolton contain Jalen Hurts? I think he's going to be a duel between linebacker and quarterback. And also, the Eagles like to run. So I'm looking at Nick Bowden and middle linebacker. So that's what I'm looking at for the Chiefs defense. All right. And then Ricky I'm watching is Jalen Watson. For those of you listening, he's been back-to-back Ricky of the Weeks for me, has gotten interceptions in each of the last two playoff games for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think that he's going to have to come up with a big one this week. That's a hard one. I want to go with the new number 10 in Kansas City, the running back, but I'm going to go with what you said earlier. I'm going to say Trent McDuffie. Um, obviously, like you said, if they're going to shut down the run, then you know what they're about to do next. 
And Smith is a hell of a wide receiver. Over there, it's going to be hard to cover him as a rookie. That's a lot to ask for. Um, he got picked on last week a lot by the Bengals. So it's a lot of tape on him. So I do believe that they're going to throw at him. So I'm, I'm going to say Trip McDuffie is going to have to step up. All right. So we both said Chiefs end up winning the Super Bowl. Who's your Super Bowl MVP? I'm going to go on the limb and I want to say Travis Kelsey. It's about time. Killer Trav deserves it. Um, I don't want to say Patrick Mahomes because that feels too easy. So, um, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Chris Jones. I could see him making a big defensive play, whether that be a forced fumble on Jalen Hurts or potentially one of these running backs getting a key stop on a fourth down, kind of like what we saw last year with uh, Aaron Donald kind of doing the same thing against the Bengals. So I think Chris Jones is the one to do it. But, all right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please share and check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Anything you'd like to say before we close this bad boy out? Oh, man, just hope everybody has a safe night, safe day, enjoy their week, rest up, enjoy their Super Bowl, eat plenty of wings, have fun. They should go ahead and make the Super Bowl a national holiday so people have to go to work. Because you, know, you know that's what people going to be doing on Sunday night is partying and watching Super Bowl. They're not going to want to get up and go to work Monday morning, so. That's all I got. That's an absolute fact, especially if you are a Chiefs and or Eagles fan. You are going to have no desire to do anything anyway, whether your team wins or loses. Believe me, I have been there. Um, Thank you guys again so much for listening. Greatly appreciate y'all, and we will see you all next time.